RFI Radio France International. It's Thursday, the 12th of March, and a very warm welcome to you. I'm Christina Rochello, and this is Paris Live. Coming up, we'll be crossing live to Washington, where Donald Trump has suspended all travel from Europe for at least 30 days, sparking fierce reaction from the EU. Our correspondent Phil Crowver brings us the latest. Visa restrictions are also being imposed on passengers travelling to India, where a ban on tourist visas has just been enforced. Oil prices continue to tumble for a second straight day, but the bogeyman may not be the coronavirus, but an oil price war. In sports, we'll be looking ahead to this weekend's Australian Grand Prix, where 20 drivers are all vying for pole position. And with just days to go before French voters head to the polls, we go out on the field to meet with candidates on the campaign trail in the suburb of Noisy-le-Sec, amid fears of abstention compounded by the coronavirus outbreak. And as always, what's trending on RFIEnglish.com. So for all that and more, stay tuned. You're listening to Paris Live. Correspondence Call. Now, as you just heard, U.S. President Donald Trump has suspended travel from Europe to the United States in a bid to halt the spread of the coronavirus. Trump said the U.S. would ban travel from EU countries except Britain after blaming Europe for not stopping what he called the foreign virus. Taking early, intense action, we have seen dramatically fewer cases of the virus in the United States than are now present in Europe. The European Union failed to take the same precautions and restrict travel from China and other hotspots. As a result, a large number of new clusters in the United States were seeded by travelers from Europe. After consulting with our top government health professionals, I have decided to take several strong but necessary actions to protect the health and well-being of all Americans. Now, for the head of the U.S. Center for Disease Control and Prevention, Robert Redfield, the new China is Europe, with countries like Italy battling more than 12,000 confirmed cases. Now, for more on what the new travel restrictions mean, we can now cross live to our correspondent, Phil Crowver in Washington. Hello there, Phil. Good morning to you. Hello, good morning. Good morning. So, Phil, I understand you're at an airport right now. Uh, just set the scene for us. What's the mood, uh, what, what's the mood there like? Yeah, I'm at Washington's uh, largest airport at uh, Dulles, and uh, it's very quiet this morning. Uh, Maybe that's because it's been quiet for the last few days uh, already, uh, with a lot of people deciding not to travel anymore, not to be in large groups anymore. But of course, the situation we're looking at here after yesterday's announcement from the president in the Oval Office is that a lot of people have had to replan things, because if you are flying to Europe right now, chances are you are simply not going to get back into the country if you are a European citizen. If you are a U.S. citizen, then you are allowed back into the country. If you're a green card holder, you are as well. But the question, of course, is will there still be flights flying from Europe to the United States? A lot of chaos, of course, but very, very quiet here. But that is something I've seen at airports over the last few days already. Uh, People are simply not flying anymore, as as little as they can, in fact. And of course, there is um, the advice of social distancing, which means don't get too close to other people, which of course in an airport is very, very uh, difficult indeed. Very difficult indeed, I imagine. Uh, And now there has been strong reaction from Europe uh, with regards to Donald Trump's decision. Uh, EU, uh, the European Union Commission uh, Chief uh, Ursula von der Leyen uh, said 
said that you know this was a unilateral decision. Uh, she's uh, criticised it, disapproving uh, of Trump's uh, Trump's calls to impose this ban. Uh, has has there been any reaction so far from the president to the uh, EU's uh, criticism? Not from the president himself, but uh, his speech yesterday uh, brought all sorts of reactions uh, from those who support him. Of course, with this president, you will also always have a large group of Republicans and Trump supporters who will uh, support everything he does. But yesterday's speech in the Oval Office brought more criticism than usual, more than anything because... He is banning travel from Europe to the United States when the coronavirus is already very much in the United States. It is spreading rapidly. And, of course, we simply don't know how many cases there are in the United States right now because very little testing is being done right now, a lot less than in most of those European countries from which travel has been banned, a lot less than in the likes of South Korea and Japan as well. Uh, so that lends uh, a lot of uh, the lack of clarity, if you will, uh, here in the United States. The president also, though, was uh, being, is being criticized for mistakes he made during his speech because he said the travel from Europe was being banned completely. He also said the trade was being banned, which led to chaos on the market uh, already this morning. The White House has had to correct that, uh, saying that, in fact, U.S. citizens, green card holders will be able to travel and the trade has not been banned between Europe and the United States. So again, a lack of clarity during this coronavirus outbreak that we've become used to over the last few weeks from the White House. So we mentioned the EU's response. Uh, what's, the, uh, what's public opinion there like? Uh, do they approve of Donald Trump's travel ban uh, on Europe? Well, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, it's, uh, it's a very recent uh, decision by the president. You know that essentially with most things that the president does, um, a public opinion falls into two categories, categories, those who support the president 100% and those who absolutely do not. But this is a bigger decision. This is something that will affect all Americans. Americans are now truly uh, coming to terms with the fact that the coronavirus outbreak is big. It is here in the United States and it is here to stay for weeks and possibly months as well. There was a moment of realization yesterday with the president's speech, but also with the fact that the whole NBA basketball season has been suspended with the fact that famous actor Tom Hanks has been uh, has been infected with coronavirus in Australia. All of those little elements that are making Americans really aware today, maybe for the first time, that this is a very serious problem in the United States. And this, this is, in fact, not a foreign virus, as the president put it last night. Not a foreign virus. I believe it's also affected you uh, personally, the, this travel ban at least. Uh, you know, what's your view uh, on Donald Trump's decision to impose uh, this ban uh, to Europe? Well, I keep my views uh, out out of this, but uh, I can tell you that um, I had to change my flight today. I was actually supposed to fly out of this same airport, Washington, Dulles, to go to my father's 70th birthday uh, in Luxembourg, and uh, I won't be able to do that. Not necessarily because I cannot legally. I am a green card holder here in the United States, meaning that in theory I can fly to Europe and I can fly back. But the big question is, will there be flights coming back from Europe to the United States in a few days' time uh, when there will be so few people traveling, when no Europeans will be allowed back into the United States. There is such an enormous amount of uncertainty. But traveling right now is a big risk. Uh, you don't know whether you're going to get back 
into the United States, essentially, if you're a U.S. citizen or a green card holder. Hence, my cancellation of my own trip here at Dulles today. But of course, that is a minor inconvenience compared to uh, all sorts of other inconveniences for families uh, around the world right now. Yes, indeed, uh, Philip. There are very worrying times uh, ahead. Uh, Philip Crowther, I will have to leave it there. Thank you so much for speaking to us uh, today from Dulles Airport in Washington. In focus. Now staying on the coronavirus, uh, India has suspended all tourist visas for a month and said it would quarantine visitors from seven virus-hit countries. The restrictions came into effect earlier today as coronavirus cases doubled to 60 in the country. The government also invoked emergency laws and ordered the military to set up vast holding facilities as it went into high gear to try and contain the spread of the infection. The move comes as the World Health Organization declared the outbreak a pandemic and as countries worldwide ramble to contain the spread of the virus, also known as COVID-19. Our correspondent Vikram Roy reports from New Delhi. The Indian government, however, said diplomatic, official employment and project visas will be exempt, but that too will be reviewed in a month. But those who visited China, Italy, Iran, South Korea, France and Spain and Germany after February 15th will be quarantined for 14 days. Indian Council of Medical Research Chief Balram Bhargav said these were only precautions. In uh, India, it has not spread to the whole country. We should be very clear about that. Most of the cases are imported cases. There is just uh, one case that was in Delhi where local transmission has been demonstrated. The next stage following that, if it breaks more, is community transmission. So right now we are just at probably not even local transmission rate, mostly imported cases. Yesterday, India also closed the border with Myanmar, which adjoins China. It also enforced the harsh law to prosecute institutions and individuals trying to conceal cases of infection. VK Paul of the government's policy-making Niti Aayog Commission said such steps were required to protect the population. Invoking the Disaster Management Act is the need of the hour at this point in time because the country is one country. There are no borders of sort. Therefore, the time has come that we have same homogeneous guidelines being followed. And there is a line of command which is very clear in terms of our response to this public health emergency. The fact is that we are responding to this in a manner that it is a public health concern, the future of which is truly still unfolding. And we are going through step-by-step response all front. We need to appreciate that we are responding to a very special situation, which is evolving in a very different way, in in an unusual way, and we are prepared. Schools, colleges and movie theatres have been shut in large parts of India. The government also advised citizens against overseas travel and told people to try and work from home. Public health expert Sanjeev Bagai called on the community to cooperate against coronavirus. Every citizen has to be a responsible citizen. If we hide the symptoms and if we spread it to our family, we are not only going to harm our family, we are going to harm the entire community. Adequate advisories have been given by medical associations and the state and central government. I think everyone needs to put their head together 
otherwise once it enters into community spread no country can ever fight these kind of infections if it percolates into large communities where the density of population is very high kerala reported the highest number of 14 confirmed cases and 3000 plus under observation the southern coastal state was under a virtual lockdown as it braced for the possible return of many of its millions of overseas workers added emergency health official amar fetal we have introduced war footing measures to ensure that a cluster remains a cluster without going to the community so that is why our measures are so extensive it's quite proactive we are doing things actually ahead of the time that they should be started such a proactive step that the government of kerala and the department of health is taking closing down schools advising everyone to uh, ensure social distancing we are even advising people to avoid travel from other locations outside india to kerala if they can avoid it and then we are also ensuring 100% screening of the people at the airports india also put on hold until mid april visa free travel granted to 3 million overseas citizens who are not nationals but are ethnic indian families living abroad it also suspended visas issued before march 3rd to italian iranian south korean and japanese nationals who have not yet entered india but foreigners already in with valid visas will not be affected by the new rules the government added in a statement for rfi this is vikram roy reporting from new delhi paris live Meanwhile, China has reported 15 new cases, its lowest number since the daily reporting on infections began seven weeks ago. The hardest-hit province of Hubei and its capital, Wuhan, continue to account for the bulk of cases and deaths. In Wuhan, at the epicenter of the outbreak, some businesses have started to reopen. And for one resident, Richard, the ease in the usually tight restrictions is a welcome relief. The press just announced that uh, Wuhan will have the first step to let the Wuhan become normal. There are some uh, necessary uh, factors. You know, all the hospitals, just the operation. And uh, for medicine factories, there are always operations. You know, the residents here just uh, locked down in, in home. I think at least 50 days. It's a quite long day. Yes, it's quite hard for everyone. I think the first step is to reopen the market. That's quite important. That's uh, for the people who to get their necessary just by their own. My friends and all about the finance department, like the property companies, they are not reopened. There is another oil company, Sinopat, and then the Wuhan branch, I think the third or fourth, actually didn't shut down ever. You know, Wuhan is quite famous automobile, the center for China, and also for the electric, like iPhone. There are a lot of factories here. Just didn't see any information for that. And that was Wuhan resident Richard speaking to us there, uh, speaking to us at RFI. Uh, moving on now, the coronavirus continues to disrupt all markets. Uh, prices on Monday fell to about 25%. On the face of it, it looks like the oil market is another victim of the coronavirus, which has already disrupted the travel business. and schools but in the roller coaster world of all trade fluctuating supply and demand and volatile prices there's more to it as RFI's Jean van der Marde found out when he talked to Francis Perrin the chairman of the Paris-based energy strategy and policies a consultancy that specializes in oil and gas there was an OPEC and non-OPEC meeting in Vienna Austria on 6 March and there was not any agreement there was a proposal from opec to cut opec and non opec production by 1.5 million barrels per day 
until the end of the first half of this year. But Russia refused this proposal and the meeting, even OPEC, non-OPEC meeting, ended without any agreement. So Saudi Arabia, the uh, most powerful member of OPEC, how did it react? Saudi Arabia announced that they would increase their production and their oil deliveries to their consumers throughout the world from 1 April, so next month. Saudi Aramco, the national oil company of Saudi Arabia, announced that it would supply about 12.3 million barrels per day of oil next month in April. And Saudi Aramco also announced cuts uh, of about six to eight US dollars per barrel to its customers in America, in Europe, and in Asia. So it's the beginning of a price war launched by Saudi Arabia after the failure of the meeting, the OPEC, non-OPEC meeting. Now, the oil prices were already low as a result of declining demand caused by the coronavirus situation. People fly less, travel less, etc., um, so initially, Saudi Arabia tried to regulate the markets, but then chose to primarily protect its own interests. Previously, Saudi Arabia's strategy was to limit its production within OPEC and in cooperation with non-OPEC countries, with 10 non-OPEC countries, including Russia, in order to try to regulate the world oil market and to get a certain level of oil prices, which would be in the interest of oil producers, including, of course, Saudi Arabia. But with the decision by Russia to reject this proposal by OPEC, clearly at the highest level of the kingdom, there was a decision to change the strategy of Saudi Arabia and to go to a strategy around the protection of its market share and not only the protection of a certain level of oil prices. So it's a huge strategic change for Saudi Arabia, which will have an important impact on the oil market in the coming weeks and months, unless OPEC and non-OPEC, and especially Saudi Arabia and Russia, try to reach an agreement in the coming weeks, but it will not be an easy task and it's certainly not a done deal. What effect does this decision by Saudi Arabia have on U.S. oil production? The change in the strategy of Saudi Arabia will have a serious impact on the U.S. oil industry. The U.S. is the leading oil producer in the world, but it is producing a lot of unconventional oil, shell oil, with higher production costs than conventional oil produced in the Middle East, especially in Saudi Arabia, which has the lowest production cost in the world as far as oil is concerned. Uh, so this change of strategy will affect everyone in the oil industry, whether oil producing and exporting countries, OPEC or non-OPEC members, whether state oil companies, whether private oil companies. And of course, it's something which is very important because Saudi Arabia is a key player in the world oil and energy industry. Now, an article in the Financial Times this week suggests that the lower oil price initially caused by the coronavirus uh, crisis and now by the Saudi actions is bad for development of alternative energy such as wind, solar and nuclear. Would you agree with that? As far as the energy transition is concerned, which means the rise of renewable energies and decarbonated energies, we need a price of oil which is rather high. 
and which would rise over time. If you have a very low oil price, it means that oil is a formidable competitor for other energy sources, including renewable energies. So certainly it's a good thing for the consumer in a short-term perspective, because of course it will be less costly to buy oil products. But for the planet, for the environment, for the climate, it's not a very good thing in a mid to long-term horizon. And certainly it will push more pressure on other energy sources, whether sources such as coal, which is another fossil fuel, but also nuclear, also solar, also wind energies. And that was Francis Perrin, the chairman of Energy Strategy and Policy, speaking to RFI's Jan van der Marde. And you've heard uh, it's sports now. Uh, the Formula One season kicks off this weekend with the Australian Grand Prix in Melbourne. And while for now the race is set to go ahead as scheduled in the presence of spectators, the coronavirus outbreak has thrown a spanner into the works and cast doubt on whether the, on whether the event will go ahead, with one team announcing its withdrawal. Uh, for more on this, I'm joined now by RFI's Daninjay Kadwaka. Hi, Daninjay. Uh, how are you? Hello, Christina. I'm good. Uh, yes, yeah, so which team has pulled out and why? Well, a prominent team, McLaren, which finished fourth in the standings last year, have withdrawn from this weekend's Australian Grand Prix after a team member tested positive for the novel coronavirus. According to the team statement, the team member was tested and self-isolated and will be treated by local healthcare authorities. Now, four members from another team, Haas F1, went into isolation this week after showing symptoms uh, that are similar to those of flu and their test results are awaited. Now, even before this announcement, defending world champion Lewis Hamilton expressed his surprise that the race was still going on. I am really very, very surprised that we're here. I think it's great that we have races, but it's for me, it's shocking that we're all sitting in this room. There's so many fans here already today, and it seems like the rest of the world is reacting probably a little bit late. But already this morning, you're seeing with Trump shutting down the borders from Europe to the States. You're seeing the NBA has been uh, suspended, and yet Form 1 continues to go on. And I, that's, I don't know, I, I saw Jackie Stewart this morning, you know, um, looking fit and healthy and well um, in the lift. And, you know, some people, as I walked into the, the paddock, some, some elderly individuals. So, you know, just it's a concern, I think, for the people here. We bring a, it's quite a big circus that's come here. Now, former world champion Sebastian Vettel said that it was difficult to judge what to do as the virus continues its spread. You realize that uh, a lot of uh, sport competitions, uh, big events uh, get postponed and cancelled. And yeah, like Lewis said, it's fair to ask yourself the question why you're here. Obviously, we have to trust the FAA and FOM to take precaution as much as they can. But I think the answer that nobody can give you at the moment is how much you can control what's going on. So... As a matter of fact, we are here, so uh, you know, I think you just try to take care as much as you can. Now, the outbreak has uh, already cast its shadow over the next race in Bahrain, which will be held without spectators, and the Chinese Grand Prix in April, which has been postponed. And going back to the uh, Grand Prix in uh, Melbourne, uh, there's a strong French presence uh, in this year's season in the form of both uh, drivers and a team. Uh, what about prospects, Danny Jay? Well, Christina, the French representation is led by the Renault F1 team, which is sporting a new driver's lineup this season in the form of Daniel Ricciardo and Esteban Ocon, who is a French driver. Now, Renault F1 will be fighting to be the best 
in the midfield they aren't uh, contenders for any victories in 2018 sorry they finished fourth while last year they slipped to fifth despite recruiting the highly rated Daniel Ricardo from Red Bull Renault F1 boss Cyril Abidbull listed three priorities for this season. We need to be better at setting targets that we can hit because there is nothing worse than setting targets that are lost before you even start. That's really bad for the mindset, for the culture and uh, you know we should be building the team so we should be building out on success rather than on failure. And uh, that's what I want to see more. So that's the first le- learning, that's the first lesson. The second lesson is, you know, you can have a good package, but if you're not capable of a good conversion rate on track, it's bad. We are not the only team in that respect, but uh, it has cost us, and cost us a lot of points and probably some position to the Constructor Championship. The next thing, obviously, is that you can have a great aerodynamic development for a period, and it can stop. That's what happened last year. Frankly, it was looking very good in winter, but suddenly it stopped simply because there was a limitation to the aerodynamic concept. We look decent right now, but on the basis of last year, I know it can also stop also. So it brings me back to my previous point also of managing expectation and being a little bit careful about things. So three priorities, reliability, good on-track execution, and make sure that we have a good development pace that we can carry into the season. Now the other two French drivers competing this season are Romain Grosjean of Haas F1 and Pierre Gasly of AlphaTauri. Both are expected to fight in the midfield. So Danje, a lot of uh, excitement and uh, suspense. Uh, who is the favourite to win this year's title? Well, undoubtedly, it's the Mercedes F1 driver Lewis Hamilton who is aiming for a record equaling seventh title this year. Mercedes F1 have completely dominated the sport since 2014 winning both the Drivers' and Constructors' Championships for the past six years. Hamilton's nearest rivals will be his teammate Valtteri Bottas and Red Bull's Max Verstappen and the two Ferrari drivers Charles Leclerc and Sebastian Vettel. Okay, then Jay, we'll leave it there. Thank you for all of that. Uh, A look at the um, uh, Melbourne Grand Prix taking place this weekend. Now, let's uh, have a look at the French newspapers. Uh, They're certainly suffering from a bad case of coronavirus. Uh, RFI's Michael Fitzpatrick joins me now to tell us if anything else is happening here in France. Michael. Thanks, Christina. Indeed, the health crisis is drawing a huge amount of media attention, leaving several other subjects almost invisible. Take the trial of French former Prime Minister François Fillon, who is, of course, accused of misusing public funds. That trial came to an end yesterday with a defiant speech by Monsieur Fillon's defence lawyer, the flamboyant Maître Antonin Lévy. Listeners will know that the case against Fillon centres on about €1 million Euros of public money paid to his Mrs Penelope for work as a parliamentary assistant. The court has to decide if she actually did the work she was paid for. And Matt Levy obviously believes that she did. Yes, and he was quite clever about it. He told the court not to worry about the fact that Penelope Fillon left no physical trace of her work, apart from her monthly payslips. There are no notes, no memos, not as much as a tattered post-it. But a lot of important people in politics and business systematically destroy written evidence. As for the amount uh, Mrs Fillon earned, it is not for the court to decide if she was overpaid for opening a few letters, thundered Maître Lévy. The charges accuse her of having done nothing, he reminded the judges. Penelope should not be held responsible for the rate at which she was paid. The only important question is, did she work? The skilful man then reeled off the names of 18 witnesses who saw Mrs. Fion representing her husband at various local events in their constituency 
and of five others who saw her dealing with the Francois Fillon's post, which sounds like very well-paid work, but may not legally qualify as completely fictitious. Oh, uh, Michael, we, we know the facts. Uh, we know that the facts in this case have already cost uh, Francois Fillon his shot at the French presidency. Uh, he was uh, a strong contender a few years back. Uh, what else does he stand to lose in this case? Well, if he's found guilty, the prosecution has asked for Mr Fillon to be sentenced to five years in jail, with a minimum of two years actually spent behind bars. He also faces a fine of €375,000 and exclusion from all levels of political responsibility for a decade. Maître Antonin Lévy yesterday assured the tribunal that they had no option but to set his client free. And at the end, he played his masterstroke, telling the judges that he had heard it said that they had no choice but to find his client guilty, since to do otherwise would signify that the last presidential election had effectively been hijacked and the French people denied their Republican right to choose. I would never insult you by making such a suggestion, said the lawyer in conclusion. I know that you will base your decision on the law and therefore that you will acquit Mr. Francois Fillon. The court's decision will be announced at the end of June. So uh, we'll be looking forward to that uh, result and announcement. Thank you, Michael Fitzpatrick. It's just gone 28 past uh, the hour. You're listening to Paris Live this Thursday, the 12th of March, with me, Christina Rakello. Uh, we're halfway into our hour-long show, bringing you news and features from France and across the world. A reminder, Paris Live continues to be broadcast at 1400 GMT across our FMs in Africa, and we now stream through YouTube. Still to come, uh, French local elections get underway this weekend, but there are fears of high abstention in the country's poor suburbs. We discuss happiness and how to teach it in schools. We cook up a feast in this weekend's sound kitchen and look at the stories making headlines on our website rfienglish.com so for all of that and more don't go away in france today now, it's been slightly overshadowed by the coronavirus outbreak, but France's local election campaign is in full swing. Some 35,000 mayors and more than 10 times as many councillors are battling out to win crucial council seats. 500,000 are up for grabs. The vote for mayor is an important event in France's electoral calendar. It comes around once every six years, so the stakes and choices are high. While attention has been focused on the battle of free women to win the hearts of Parisians, on the outskirts of the capital in North one woman is also trying to get voters' attention. Her name is Nadej Guillard. She's a mother of three and is campaigning on a citizen-led platform called A New Energy for Noisy. I travelled to the suburb to meet her and found out how her campaign is going. When you go out uh, meeting with voters, uh, uh, is it easy to approach them? Uh, are they interested in this election campaign? Uh, people are... Um interested about uh, the election campaign, but, you know, in Noisy there is um, a percentage of abstention uh, about uh, 50%. So, people are not really believing, again, in uh, the exchange. So, you can discuss with people, they are really friendly, and uh, a lot of them will tell you, okay, what they don't want anymore, but um, the difficulty is to mobilize them uh, Sunday, and um, 
the young people don't uh, go to vote. And uh, with the coronavirus, uh, I think that old people will often vote in the election, will maybe fail a little bit to go out. But um, uh, there is other way to uh, make sure that uh, uh, they, they can uh, give their opinion. They can also make some uh, what you call, you know, procreation. Or proxy vote. Proxy vote. Okay, so so they, they can vote at, at a distance or ask somebody else to vote? Yeah, but uh, you, it has to be somebody you trust, you know. <laughs> it can be problematic if people don't uh, choose your choice. <laughs> yes, I can understand. Um, so are you, are you worried then that uh, many people will not vote on, on Sunday? How can you convince them? to get out and vote? You know, in the suburb, people don't really vote. But for local election, people are a little bit more involved. Um, what I can say to uh, convince them to uh, go out and uh, participate is that voting in France when you're French is, uh, is the best uh, proof of equality, you know? <laughs> like, uh, uh, a vote is a vote. A voice is a voice. Mm -hmm. So we are really equal about uh, uh, the power of uh, this act. Mm -hmm. I think that people have to uh, get conscious that democracy is about the power of uh, big numbers, you know? Mm -hmm. If uh, there is a lot of people uh, that can be mobilized mm -hmm. to uh, vote for candidates they don't want, in mm -hmm. fact, mm -hmm. uh, if they don't participate, mm -hmm. uh, what they will have is just uh, tears after, you know. So I really... So rather than having tears, it's, it's better that they, they, they use their, their vote and, and choose wisely. Yeah, and, you know, when you choose a mayor, you, you choose a, a team for six years. Uh, so uh, better to take a little bit time, uh, like uh, 30 minutes on Sunday, and uh, to make sure that you 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 give your opinion and then um, you 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 participate than to uh, stay at home and after have to be during six years a mayor you don't want and to say okay I'm not okay with that politics but. You, you had to participate, you know. If uh, you don't vote, you don't complain. <laughs> good point. Good point. So, so now, now you're taking us. Uh, where are we going at the, at the moment? We are going uh, on the market of uh, Noisy-le-Sec. You will see, like um, the, the place is not. Uh, it, it's not really on the good place. In our program, for example, we propose to change the place okay. of the of this market because um, the place where the market is uh, can be um, vegetalized, okay. yeah, mm -hmm. um, because uh, Noisy Lesec is suffering of a lack of uh, green place. Mm -hmm. The square and the park are not really green and people are not, uh, for example, going in the playground place because uh, the fear of security. This is place w where children play and uh, this place has to be secure with uh, uh, not people drinking or uh, traffic and, uh, for example. Do you think uh, there should be more police officers in Noisy-le-Sec, uh, local police? 
I think that uh, we can organize differently the uh, way to protect people. Uh, we have a lot of camera, and but uh, um, uh, more of them are used to give um, the parking fine. Uh, uh, we were talking about uh, young people and the, the the way they feel in the suburb. I think we have to to reconnect kind of dialogue between low representative and uh, the youth mm-hmm. okay they have to understand that they are not enemies i believe in um, mediation and uh, i think uh, that maybe we can uh, give some uh, some training to improve the way the low representative interact with the youth and the, the other people in the city so that can improve also the um, uh, security feeling. And uh, here I see we're just about to arrive in the market. So We arrive in the market. So I'll, I'll let you hand out your, your leaflets. You arrive in the market and I don't know if you see there is uh, another problem in Noisy Lesec is uh, Noisy is not really clean, the street is uh, a little... Dirty. Yeah, so dirty. Here another list, you know, it's a ecologist. Okay. okay. Yeah. So on the campaign trail in Noisy de Sec, as you just heard, uh, we bumped into rivals of Nadej Guillard and her citizen-led movement, A New Energy for Noisy. Uh, her rivals such as the Green Party, Europe, Ecologie des Verts, Solidaires. Uh, they're hoping to capitalise on the public's growing awareness about the need to tackle climate change and maintain that they're the only ones who can bring about real change. I caught up with one member, Baptiste Jabier, and this is what he had to say. First of all, what is your name? If Christina's mine, what's your name? My name is Baptiste. And uh, how is your campaign going? And uh, do you think people here in Noisy-le-Sec care about the environment? We do, we do. We really feel that people are bored with uh, new big buildings, that they want more greener city, um, that this one is too grey, that summer are too hot. Everyone feels it and uh, people hear the media and now it's everywhere so everyone is aware so we do feel a lot of support and why, what are you what are you proposing to citizens here of Noisy de Sec uh, why should residents vote for the green party well we have various uh, proposals to reduce the speed of cars in the city to promote zero waste, to avoid to build new buildings. We will try to make them uh, efficient at energy level. So we have a lot of proposals for uh, a green city. And so far, are people convinced uh, when you interact with locals here? Uh, uh, what is the feedback that you get? Is it easy to talk to people? Well, talking to people is never easy in a campaign. Well, it's my first one. It's not easy, but uh, we we have a lot of good feedbacks. Uh, a lot of people support uh, support us uh, when we we made a ride uh, with bikes uh, in the city a few days ago, and uh, people were clapping their hands when we were going through the street. The streets. A lot of people tell us, "No, I don't want your." your track because I'm already convinced so we feel a good mood okay. good mood and just last but not least Sunday remind us why should people vote for your party uh, Ecologie Solidarité if that's the name of the party yes that's the name of this party because we are actually convinced about all this a lot of parties became green a few months ago 
or a few weeks ago, we have been green for years and years, decades. So we are... It's great that other parties also work on these issues, but we've, we feel that we have more expertise and that we are actually convinced. We don't, we don't do this in order to, to win the elections. We are actually convinced of these issues. And Baptiste Jabier, the uh, member of the Green Party, speaking to me uh, at that market in Noisy-le-Sec. Uh, well, the suburb of Noisy-le-Sec in northern Paris has traditionally voted on the left, but in recent years, voters have swung to the right. Current Mayor Laurent Rivoire is hoping to, is hoping to secure a third term, promising to, con to continue renovating public housing and pushing plans to build an Olympic swimming pool ahead of the 2024 Games. However, Rivoire is also facing allegations of favouritism and influence peddling, and the case is currently on hold. I asked him if his legal woes were getting in the way of his campaign. Days before France's local elections this Sunday, voters are gearing up to vote. Are you confident that you will yes. be re-elected this, this Sunday? I am the mayor in place, so I'm confident. We'll see uh, Sunday. I don't know. We don't know, but when, when we spoke, uh, speak about uh, the election with the, the, the Noisian, uh, it seems to be good. So I hope so. And what are you proposing for citizens here? What's, what's your platform? Uh, the first uh, project is the Olympic uh, swimming pool. It's the, the first uh, because we will have the swimming pool for the water polo in Noisilsec in uh, 24. Look, it's very important for us. But there is uh, one school, many streets we will made. The, the metro will arrive in Noisy in two years. So uh, there is a lot, a lot of things Many things. It's difficult to, to say in a few minutes, but we have uh, many ideas. And um, are you feeling in a serene state of mind uh, at the moment? You, you are also uh, facing, I, I believe, legal proceedings uh, for favoritism. Has that um, distracted your campaign at all? No, 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 because people know me. So I don't think it's important. They know my integrity, they know my honesty. So uh, I, when I speak about, with Noisian, they don't speak about that. They speak about the 130 millions I, I invest in the, the town without uh, raising the, 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 the taxes. So it's the most important. The, the people know me. He, so, he, so, he say that I make that for the love of my town and not for those things. So if you are re-elected on, on Sunday, what impact will that have on the, on the legal proceedings? Can the legal proceedings have an impact on no. your campaign? No, absolutely no. No, no problem. Okay, okay so uh, just last, last but not least, why should people vote for you again? Uh, uh, six years is a long time to be mayor. Ten years. You've been mayor for 10 years? Yes, so, so why? Okay, so why should people vote for you yet again? Because they, they saw uh, how I work for the town. I'm... I'm uh, 24 hours uh, each day on the town. I make uh, 130 millions of investments in the town uh, without uh, the tax. Uh, I think that's a noisy change during these 10 years. So once uh, six years more, I think that they agree. Yes. That was Laurent Rivoire, the mayor of Noisy-le-Sec, speaking to me uh, yesterday ahead of this weekend's local elections on Sunday. Joining me in the studio is our favourite songbird and music lover, Susan Owensby. Uh, Susan, what's cooking in this week's Sound Kitchen? I don't know about songbird. You're the singer, <laughs> not okay. me. Okay, well, we'll keep that to ourselves. 
<laughs> oh, anyone who's listened to the Sound Kitchen okay. has heard Christina Okello okay. singing. Yes. So yeah, I'm going to embarrass her now. Yeah, okay. that's about a different story. Like, <laughs> back to back to you, Susan. <laughs> On the Sound Kitchen this weekend, Laura Angela Bagnetto, our very dear colleague, has been in Cameroon in the Anglophone regions, the northwest and southwest regions of Cameroon where there are a great deal of, um, well, it's a crisis. And uh, Laura Angela is a reporter, a very good reporter and a woman with a huge heart. And she has been telling these people stories that is, they're just not known, Christina. Mm-hmm. And it's terrible what's going on. So she's on the show. <clears throat> Excuse me. She's on the show to um, to talk about what she found, and also to introduce us to a singer songwriter called Olga N K. Who's she? Yeah, she's on. Uh, she's also on uh, World Music Matters, okay. our podcast, World Music Matters. Laura Angela did a show for uh, Allison and for you, our dear listeners, and. Um, uh, she's she's a wonderful singer who sings in pidgin English about the crisis. Okay. So there's that, and there's the answer to the question about Iraq's prime minister. What's and the question? Uh, the question was, what is the name of the new one? You know, there were like three months without a prime minister between sense. November and February. Honest, I, I can't keep up with all, no, all I, I know, I know, I know. It's I know it's tough. So, uh, what's the name of the new one? What's the name of the old one? Yes, <laughs> and uh, et, et voila, voila. And then there are a lot of new members. Do I still have some time? You still can have I keep talking? You can still, still, can still keep st- talking. Keep it's talking. nice to have you. Yes. Okay, so everyone out there, you can be a member of the RFI English Listeners Club. All you have to do is write us at english.service at rfi.fr, and we'll send you a membership number. And then anytime you enter a Sound Kitchen quiz and you win, you get a premium prize. Woohoo! Which uh, looks like? Uh, well, uh, it all depends on what's in the goodie bag. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I feel like becoming a member myself just to get a, <laughs> take part of those goodies. <laughs> okay, Susan. Uh, well, when is, when is Sound Kitchen out? Uh, just remind the us. The Sound Kitchen is published every Saturday. And so it's on our website on Saturday by about noon Paris time. And then it's podcasted all over the place, Apple and all that kind of stuff. I don't know what that is. Okay, great. So we will look out for it. And uh, lots of my members, I'm sure, will will be uh, gearing up to to answer that question so we can get all those goodies that you have in store for them. (laughs) Thank you, Susan Owensby. (laughs) International Report. Now, a report we, we produced earlier this year about happiness and how to teach it in schools. Even at the moment, thousands of students are actually forced to miss class because of the coronavirus outbreak. When they get back, countries like India would like them to feel relaxed. The government schools across the capital in New Delhi have added happiness to their schedules. The class carries no grade and has no textbooks, tests or homework. Our correspondent Murali Krishnan went to find out more. Be completely at peace with your mind and focus only on your breathing. Breathe in and breathe out. Breathe in. The usually noisy classrooms at the government-run school in South Delhi are silent. In one classroom for six graders, students are sitting with their eyes closed 
and hands on their knees. The teacher guides them as they listen carefully to sounds around them. They are asked to note the sounds they can hear and then to isolate one. Eventually, they pay attention to the sound of their own breathing. The 45-minute happiness class starts with mindfulness, followed by stories and activities. It's meant to help students unwind and cope better with their studies and lives. This marks a huge departure in a country known for its rigid, bookish education system, which places intense pressure on students to score high marks and encourages memorizing and cramming. Typically, in schools, the priority is knowledge acquisition, cramming kids' heads with information, then skills, and if lucky, maybe the school cares about the student's personality and character and what type of person they are. There is stress, depression, anxiety, violence, everything is related because in a rat race of today's time, we are deviating from the uh, connect in the mind and the action is missing. Amita Gandhi is a school's vice principal. So with this classes, with this curriculum, I think this is a beautiful thing. The idea to introduce the curriculum in Delhi government schools originated when Deputy Chief Minister Manish Sisodia visited Harvard University and saw how the institution was running happiness courses. Work on preparing the plan started in January last year with the involvement of about 40 experts. In another classroom, 7th grade students are in a circle passing around a plastic ball. The aim is to help them reduce stress and anxiety and manage any depression. The Indian education system is geared towards scoring high marks and passing exams. But teacher Ankita Goswami emphasizes that life is more than just marks. There's always been a positive response from the kids whenever I ask them how you're feeling after meditation and they're just generally happy. Throughout the day there are a lot of events that make them sad or unsettled and after happiness they always seem to just like relax and calm down. So that's a really good sign. The curriculum has been rolled out in a thousand government schools across the Indian capital in July last year and covers meditation exercises, inspirational stories and activities. About 50,000 teachers have been trained and nearly a million children attending classes. Binita Behel is also a vice principal. Certainly the children have started liking it and they're settling down into it and it has a calming effect on them and they're enjoying the period and they're looking forward to it. That is the best part. So today also we are going to do different types of activities. So the first activity that we are going to start with is mindful. The Delhi state government mindful. has established a happiness committee with 200 mentors to keep an eye on day-to-day -day functioning of the courses in the schools. A periodic assessment of the children's progress will be made using a happiness index. Eighth grader Disha Negi says the course is working for her and her friends. My friends, they all share that they are feeling very sad, low, very stressful, but after doing mindful listening activities like this, they feel happy. In Delhi, the happiness classes take on an added significance. Most of the children at government schools come from poor economic backgrounds. They often struggle with broken homes, single parents, domestic violence or alcohol abuse. Rimji Singh, a class 7 student, looks forward to the sessions. 
Yes, I think it's good program. We are uh, not feeling very calm or we are full of stress. If we don't do a happiness activity, I feel very stressed. But after doing this, uh, my whole day go very stress-free. India is among the world's least happy nations and ranked 133 out of 155 countries in the World Happiness Report last year. Since 2009, when Bhutan introduced it, at least 12 countries, including Peru and Mexico, have experimented with classes similar to the ones in Indian schools. Amit Sharma is a mentor overlooking the program. No one is focusing on kids and on their own self. And when you talk about life skill, you need the receptiveness from kids initially. And also India's ranked, I think, some of the bottom countries in happiness index. That's why I think Delhi government has been very progressive to come up with a program which really focuses on kids and their own being and make them open towards learning and life skills. That's why the goal in Delhi is to improve overall social-emotional education for children. The aim is simply to have happier and well-adjusted students and even teachers. Murli Krishnan, RFI, New Delhi. Mindful listening. And what will it help us develop? Mindful listening will help us to concentrate on the sounds around us. You can follow RFI English on Facebook and Twitter and email us at parislive at rfi.fr. It's epop time. RFI Planet Radio is sponsoring a video contest and we want you to enter. This RFI department, which gives voices to remote populations around the world, is looking for two-minute videos about climate change told by the people it affects. Get together with your granddad, your aunt, someone older in your community and ask them how they feel about what's happening where they live, maybe in the place where they grew up. How do you feel about it? Tell us what you think. For competition guidelines, go to the RFI English, the RFI English Clubs or the Sound Kitchen Facebook pages. If you need more help, you can write to us at english.service at rfi.fr. That's english.service at rfi.fr. The deadline for entries is March the 15th, so time to get to work. Now for a look at what's trending on our website, I'm joined in the studio now by RFI's Amanda Morrow. So Amanda, what's making the headlines? Well, earlier on in the program, you guys were talking about the travel ban that the US has placed yes, on Europe. Indeed. Now, to the contrary, uh, measures here in France have been a little more lax. Perhaps that's something that Donald Trump Donald was Trump trying was to get at. saying that this virus, it's a foreign virus, so Europe was not taking enough action, and that's which is why now he's imposed this ban. Right, mm-hmm. and so France is the worst affected EU country behind Italy. Okay. It has more than 2,200 coronavirus cases. So far, it's resisted moving to that all-important uh, elevated stage three yes. epidemic response. Although Macron is due to speak this evening, so we're not sure whether he might announce whether That's we right. will move to, to that stage. That's one of the big questions, Jess. So far, we're still on level two. Now, Corsica, which has 51 cases, has banned gatherings of 50 people 
or more mm-hmm. uh, as the pandemic continues to spread. The island's prefect told uh, French television that the ban would be observed until the 15th of April. All Corsican schools will remain closed until the 29th of March. Four French departments have closed all schools, so that affects more than 400,000 students. That's a lot of, uh, a lot of children. <laughs> quite a lot of children. Uh, the Education Minister Jean-Michel Blanquer uh, telling uh, French media today that the total closure of all French schools is something that's never been envisaged. He did concede the list of closures would only get longer. Mm-hmm. He says, you know, there are 12 million students in France. Lots of territories will mm-hmm. be affected, but so far there's no view for a nationwide closure of schools. For now. <laughs> for now, that's right. And again, uh, President Macron due to deliver his speech today at eight o'clock uh, this evening. So we might find out more. Um, and, and in terms of, you know, uh, the French public's uh, reaction, uh, are, are people feeling, you know, anxious? You know, what, what's the government t- telling people to do to, uh, to stay safe? There are mixed reactions, but no doubt people are feeling very anxious, particularly ahead of municipal elections. Yes, so uh, which we just this discussed. Uh, yes. That's right. So the mayor of Paris, Anne Hidalgo, she's cancelled all of her meetings during the last week of campaigning. Uh, she's asked the interior minister to allow school closures for cleaning before and after the vote. Mm -hmm. Uh, Christophe Castanel, though, he said that, well, hand-washing stations will be set up at voting points. He assured the nation voting is safe and that rigorous and protective measures have been taken to ensure the best possible sanitary conditions. Yes, but most of the voting actually takes place in schools, which is why these measures are being enforced. Absolutely, in schools and uh, in town halls. Uh, several cities have said that polling booths will be thoroughly cleaned uh, and disinfected before and after. Uh, schools and the town halls, their toilets will be open to the public. There will be posters at the mm. entrance to those venues encouraging people to wash their hands before and after casting their ballots. I also thought that people can bring bring their own uh, pens. If That's they, right. If they're, they're being concerned. encouraged to bring their own pens mm-hmm. and also in some cases ballot boxes have been posted to their homes and they're okay. asked to bring those too to minimise the risk of infection. Um, uh, voters so are going also all out. <laughs> going all out. Uh, voters are also being asked to follow floor markings, uh, which oh, yes. will help them maintain a distance, that all-important distance of one metre oh. between themselves and others. Okay. And also, interestingly, proxy rules for fragile voters so you know uh, elderly elderly, people Mm -hmm. or people with pre-existing health conditions those proxy rules have actually been relaxed and fragile people uh, uh, people with fragile health also invited to vote outside of peak periods which are between 10 a.m and 2 p.m and 4 and 6 p.m and also uh, disinfectant bombs are being set off on Saturday at polling stations in the cities of Marseille and Aix-en-Provence uh, the regional prefect there has uh, surprisingly said that coronavirus sufferers will be allowed to vote wearing masks, which they won't be obliged to remove for identification purposes. Okay. So lots of toing and froing ahead of the vote. Okay, this sounds, all sounds very interesting. We'll, we'll be w- uh, covering the elections this weekend, but let's uh, uh, shift now away from coronavirus, away from the elections to a story uh, dear to your heart that you've been following these last few days, uh, a story about uh, indigenous Peruvians uh, who say that a Dutch oil company uh, destroyed the Amazon jungle while avoiding taxes. Just tell us a bit more. What, yeah, about that's the story. right. This is a story that's just been published on our 
website, Indigenous Peruvians whose home has been contaminated by decades of oil extraction in the Amazon are now appealing to Dutch authorities to hold accountable one company that they say caused devastating pollution while using legal loopholes to avoid paying taxes. Uh, So four local communities have filed a complaint in The Hague against the oil multinational Plus Petrol, which was founded in Argentina, uh, but now is based in the in the Netherlands via what they say is a letterbox address that only has a, a single employee. So essentially, they're lodging this complaint under OECD guidelines, mm-hmm. saying that the company breached the guidelines of good business practice uh, by failing to be transparent in its operations, by setting up this uh, legal um, network of holding companies to avoid paying taxes, and also that it has uh, neglected its responsibilities to go in and clean up after its uh, oil extraction on this one particular concession, which the case concerns uh, in a northern part of the Peruvian Amazon. So we've been speaking to Indigenous leaders uh, and also to legal experts on that case. And for a, a full look at that story, you can go, go on to our website, rfienglish.com. Thank you, Amanda Mora, for that look. Vietnam, the health officials and musician Kat Kung, who, who you can hear there, have produced an animated music video uh, called Jealous Coronavirus based on the V-pop hit Gen by singers Min and Eric. The song's lyrics call on viewers to wash their hands thoroughly, not touch their faces, avoid large crowds and push back the virus Corona Corona. brings us to the end of Paris Live PM today with me, Christina Riquello. Thank you for listening to us. Join us again for more news and futures tomorrow. Bye for now. <laughs>